God, we come to you this morning with just open and unfolded hearts that you would be king today in our gathering, that you would be lifted up and exalted in our gathering, even as we prepare our hearts for communion at the end of service today. God, would you begin to prepare our souls now to engage with you as we've done so already by singing and worship. God, we do so now by looking into your word together. And the people of God together said, amen. Well, because we're talking about family today, I want to tell you a story about my family, particularly about my dad. And I'll tell you more stories about my dad as we kind of go on together this morning. But here's the first one. When we were kids, um, we didn't have a ton of money. So we didn't do the vacation thing very much. And when we did, we would camp because camping is cheap, right? So I remember when I was a kid, my, my dad and my mom in the front seat and my brother, he's older than me, and my sister, she's younger than me. I'm the middle one. I need a lot of attention. Surprise, surprise. And um, so we're in the back of this wood panel station wagon. Do y'all remember those wood panel station wagons? Some of you, if you're nodding your head and you have one in your possession and you would like to give it to somebody, I love those things. I do. I love them to death. So we're in the back of this wood panel station wagon. We're driving along a little road and we look off to the side of the road and there's a river down by the side of this road. And there's a blanket down there, and on the blanket, there's a man and a woman, and they've got a little picnic out, and he's playing guitar, and she's listening, and it's clearly a romantic situation. Clearly, they're married or dating or engaged or something. And the car's kind of quiet. My mom looks at my dad and says, babe, why don't you ever do that? So even as young as I was, I think, wow, he's painted into a corner a little bit. I don't know how my dad's going to respond to this. So the car's quiet for a moment. My dad's clearly thinking, pondering. And he looks at my mom and goes, hon, I don't even know that girl. <laughs> I hope my dad's not mad at me for it. Um, I'll tell you some better stories about my dad as we go on this morning, but we're talking about the family of God, the family of God this morning. If you've got your Bibles, open it up to the book of Galatians chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 6 through 9. Troy said 7 through 9, but we've kind of got to ramp up a little bit into those three verses, 7, 8, and 9. Galatians is about 80% of the way through your Bible, if you're not familiar with it. You can take out your iPad, your iPhone. There's a pew Bible in front of you. And if all else fails, we've put it up here on the screen for you. And I am going to read this text, Galatians 3, verses 6 through 9. And I'm starting, starting in verse 6, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Starting in verse 6, reads this way. So also Abraham... Believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. First time I read those four verses, what went through my head? What? what? What does that mean? I have no idea. Why would Jamie give me that passage? I got David and Goliath last time. That's easy. Why would he give me this? 
for a joke, right? That's the point. He, he thought it was funny, I'm sure. But the more I read that passage, and here's what good pastors do. Let me just clue you in on what we do. We study, and we read commentary. And we look into the Scripture, and we pray, and we do word studies, and we try to unfold the Scripture and unpack it for ourselves first. Not to come up with a good sermon, but to apply it to ourselves first. And I like to talk in kind of bottom-line truths, like one main point that we're all going to walk away with together. And here's the one main point of those four verses in Galatians. Here it is. If you're taking notes, jot it down. God the Father started a family a long time ago so that he could adopt you into it. God the Father started a family a long time ago so that he could adopt you into it. I promise we'll unpack it. I promise we'll get there. I promise we'll wrap our heads around it together. But, but so we're kind of looking for it together as we study the Scripture. That's the main point, that God the Father started a family a long time ago so that he could adopt you into it. The first thing that we need to understand in those four verses is that Paul, who is writing to this church at a city called Galatia, hence the name Galatians, is using an Old Testament example of Abraham to articulate, to explain what God has done from generations past. And so in order to get our minds and hearts in the same place of the minds and hearts of the readers of this letter, we've got to understand who Abraham is. Amen? We can't just make something up. We, we got to, like, actually wrap our heads around it. And it starts from the very beginning of the Scripture. Here's the deal. God, in his mercy, decided to create mankind. He created original man, original woman, Adam and Eve, made them perfect, put them in the garden, and said, have at it, bliss, paradise, you're awesome. Do the thing, walking with them in the cool of the day, friends, the whole deal. And man thought he was smarter than God. Really? <laughs> really? Man thought he was smarter than God. So he rebelled. He went his own way. He thought, I kind of have a better idea of what I should and shouldn't do than God does. So technically, the scripture ought to end right about there. That's all we should really have. Genesis chapter 3, right about there. But God, in his mercy, said, no, 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 no. I don't put up with rebellion. I'm not going to obliterate the planet I just created and mankind that I just created and go on living in perfect harmony, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I am going to restore mankind, and I'm going to restore my relationship with mankind, and I'm going to do so in covenant. In covenant. The first covenant that God makes is with a man named Noah. It's the covenant of restoration. God rebuilds humanity. God rebuilds the population on the planet through Noah and his family. And he gives Noah an external sign of an internal covenant. That external sign was a rainbow. God put a rainbow in the sky and said, Noah, every time you look at that, remember my covenant with you. My covenant of grace, of mercy, I'm compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. I have made my covenant with you, Noah, and I've put a rainbow in the sky to remind you an external sign of an internal reality. When God decided to start a family, he called a man named Abraham. 
Abraham. Now, most of us would think, wow, God called Abraham. God selected Abraham. He must have been a pretty godly guy. He must have been a pretty righteous man. He must have really impressed God. No, no. (laughs) He was likely from a, a nation called Babylon, likely a polytheist, likely a pagan man. He likely worshiped idols, and God selected him and chose him to demonstrate his great grace and his great mercy, and he made a covenant with Abraham, not because of anything Abraham did. In fact, he did a lot of stuff that God probably wouldn't have been very thrilled about, but he chose Abraham for himself to start a family, and he stipulated a covenant again with Abraham. Three parts to this covenant. One, I am going to bless you through redemption, God says to Abraham. This wasn't a conditional covenant. This wasn't a, Abraham, if you do this, then I'll do this. If you do that, then I'll do that. God shows up on the scene to Abraham and says, I'm God, I get to do what I want. Now sit back, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bless you with redemption. Number two, I'm going to give you a land. That land is called Canaan. It's the promised land that all your descendants would inherit. Now stop there. If I'm Abraham, here's what I hear. Okay, blessing through redemption. Got it. Land. Got it. And all my descendants? Descendants. Really? Abraham, in my mind, put the, put the Bible over there for a minute. This is in the margin. This is a Luke Cooper translation, by the way. In my mind, Abraham goes like this. God, I don't have children. And, and I'm like 90. And so's my wife. I'm not sure you understand the mechanics of this whole thing. We are not going to have children. We are not going to have descendants. And God says to Abraham, listen, Slick, you didn't let me get to the third part of this covenant. The third part of this covenant is, again, I am God. I get to do what I want, and I'm going to give you descendants. What I need you to hear about the Abrahamic covenant is that God started a family. Not an army, not a nation, not an organization, not a business. God started a family. He gave Abraham descendants. He gave Abraham children. And those children had children, and those children had children. And God made good on his promise to give Abraham descendants that numbered like the stars in the sky, that numbered like the sand on the seashore. And they multiplied, and they became the nation of Israel, the people of God. And they always referred to themselves as the children of Abraham, the Jews. Now, there were a group of Jews in this city called Galatia where Paul had shared the gospel. And when he talked about Jesus and he talked about Jesus fulfilling the covenants and fulfilling the prophecy, these these Jews in Galatia said, yes, Paul, we agree. Jesus is the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one, the long-awaited one. He's the fulfillment of prophecy. He's the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. We put our faith and trust in him. And God... Paul planted a church in Galatia, lots of them converted Jews, and he left Galatia. And the minute he left, they started going back to old stuff. Because remember, they were Jews. 
children of Abraham. And they had been for generations upon generations upon generations. And I'm not talking about they're Jewish like the Olive Garden is Italian, okay? I'm talking about the real deal. Circumcised on the eighth day, worshiping at the temple, dietary restrictions, all the things that they were supposed to do, they did. So when Paul showed up, and he preached the gospel, and they gave their lives to Jesus, he walked away, and those converted Jews started to struggle with two things. Two things. First, they struggled with grace. They had a real tough time with grace. Because, you see, here's the nature of grace. Grace says you're not responsible for your salvation. That's legalism when I'm responsible for my salvation. I carry around my little box of stuff that I go present to God and I say, here you go, God, save me. I'm worth it because I did this stuff. Grace says this, God bestowed undeserved favor on you, not because of anything that you did or did not do. It's the Bible's worst kept secret, right? It's what sets Christianity aside from all other world religions, that and a number of other things, but grace, undeserved favor. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to appease God. How does God save you? By his grace. And they had a tough time with it. They were going back to old ways. They were jumping through hoops again. They were going back to dietary restrictions and sacrifice and all this old stuff that they thought they had to do to jump through hoops. And the reality is that God saves by his grace. The second thing they had a real tough time with was Gentile inclusion. You see, they were the children of Abraham. They were the family of God. They had been a family for thousands and thousands of years up to this point. And so when Paul comes along, and Jesus before him, by the way, and says, God always intended to graft Gentiles into this covenant, these Jews responded with, Gentiles? What is that, like some kind of flooring in my house? We, we pulled out all the carpet and re we replaced it with Gentiles. I did all the work myself. <laughs> Gentiles? No. We are not interested in Gentiles being a part of this thing. And, and on the rare occasion when they would say, that's okay, they can be grafted into the family of God, they can be adopted into the family of God, they would make them jump through those hoops that I was talking about. So could you imagine being a grown Gentile man coming into the church in Galatia? I've given my life to Jesus. And they say, great, brother, welcome to the family. We need to get you in a small group, in a new believer's class. We need to get you circumcised, baptized, and give you first communion. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did you just say? Oh, we need to get you in a new believer's class? No, after that. <laughs> we need to get you baptized? No, before that. We need to get you circumcised. You need to get me what? Circumcised, circumcised, when you get you circumcised, that's kind of part of the deal. I would be terrified, you know? Here's the thing, these guys struggled with grace. They struggled with God's undeserved favor. You did nothing to impress God so that he would save you. He didn't look down on you and go, wow, he's got a lot to bring to the table. I think I'll adopt him. Number two, God came so that everyone, all ability levels, all genders, red, yellow, black, white, 
all everyone from all backgrounds, all colors, every nation, tongue, and tribe would come to the family of God and be adopted into his family. And Paul begins to address this in chapter 3, verse 1. If you've got your Bibles open still, look at chapter 3, verse 1. Paul writes to this church at Galatia, and he says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? When I read this initially, I thought, wow, Paul's kind of being a jerk here, right? If someone says, oh, foolish Luke, who has bewitched you? I'm not going to be thrilled. But listen, the tone that Paul is taking with the church here is not jerk. It's not condescending. It's not looking down on him. Here's the tone he's taking with the church. He's taking the same kind of tone that my dad takes with me. He's wrapping his arm around him. He says, you know I love you? Yep. You know I was there when you gave your life to Jesus? Yep. You know I believe in you? Yep. You know I want the best for you? Yeah. You're being stupid. (laughs) You have a friend like that in your life? I sure do. I sure do. And Paul loves them too much to let them stray here, to let them walk away from this gospel of grace and this gospel of inclusion. And he anticipates the way they would argue back. Here's the way that they would argue back. No, 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 Paul. God doesn't save by grace. God saves through what we do. Look at Abraham. He was saved by circumcision. Pick it up in verse 6. Paul writes, so also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Everybody see the quotes in your Bible there? So also Abraham believed God, open quote, believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, closed quote. Paul's real smart here. He knows he's dealing with a Jewish audience. He knows that they would have had the Abrahamic covenant memorized, Genesis 15 through 17. And so he quotes Genesis 15, 3. He's pulling a quote directly from the Abrahamic covenant, and he's saying to these converted Jews in Galatia, Abraham, what? Believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. According to Jewish history, how long was it when Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness? How long was it before he got circumcised? 40 years. According to their own history, these converted Jews in Galatia, 40 years. Paul is saying, look, it had nothing to do with what he did. It had everything to do with God's grace. Abraham was credited righteousness because of his faith, because he believed. So for thousands of years, that's how God has been saving people. FYI, next time Jeopardy asks you that question, right? Next time your friend asks you that question, how do people get saved before Jesus came around? Same way they get saved now. By grace through faith. It's not of ourselves, not by works, so that no one could boast, not even Abraham, Paul says. So this group of converted Jews will go, okay, okay, I got it. By grace through faith, only because of God's grace and by faith. That's how Abraham got saved, that's how I got saved. What about Gentiles? I mean, they're Johnny come lately to this thing. I mean, we're not real interested in including them, and God never intended to include them to begin with. And Paul being real smart and inspired by the Holy Spirit, by the way, anticipates their argument once again. Pick it up in verse 7. Paul writes, Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Those who are circumcised? No. Those who jump through the right hoops? No. Those who worship at the temple, sacrifice, follow dietary restrictions? No. Who are the sons of Abraham? Those who have faith. Verse 8. 
Scripture foresaw. Look at that. Look at that. Just those two words. Scripture foresaw. In other words, God knew how long ago? Thousands of years ago that he would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance. Another quote from the Abrahamic covenant. All nations will be blessed through you. In other words, Paul is telling this group of converted Jews and also to these Gentile Christians in Galatia that a long time ago, God the Father started a family so that what? He could adopt you into it. By grace, through faith. Scripture foresaw. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? That God foresaw from the very beginning of time that he would create a family so that he could graft you into it and you into it and you and me and call you son or daughter and say, Luke, that's my kid. And from the beginning of time, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. By his grace and his grace alone, every tongue, tribe, and nation, people from all over the world. The, the, the church that I'm going to the pastor in September, 1,000 people in the church, over 100 countries represented, over 60 mother tongues. I can't name 60 languages. <laughs> and there's over 60 original language represented in this church because Toronto is the most multi-ethnic city in the world. Friends, brothers and sisters, beloved of God, that's what heaven's going to look like. A whole lot of people from a whole lot of different backgrounds that look different than you and I do that have been saved and adopted into the family of God by grace through faith. So if God started a family so that he could adopt me into it, my next question for the scripture is, how in the world do I get into that bad boy? I just want in. And for some of you, you've come into this place today and, and you're already hearing the family of God and Jesus and all that stuff. Man, I'm new to that. I'd love to know how to get adopted into the family of God. For those of you who have not called yourself a child of God yet, who, who have not responded to Jesus in repentance and faith, listen really closely because this is how you get adopted into the family of God. Galatians 3 verse 9 reads this way. So those who rely on faith are children of Abraham, the man of faith. Abraham, adopted by grace through faith. And who are children of Abraham? Who is the family of God? Those who rely on faith. Say it with me, brethren. Those who rely on faith. Faith. If you don't think that word faith is important in this text, start in verse 6. When Abraham believed God, it's the same word in Greek as faith. That's in verse 6. In verse 7, faith. In verse 8, faith. In verse 9, faith two times. Epistuo ace, believed in, trusted into, had faith. Repeated five times, one word, five times in just four verses. It is critical. It's imperative. It is the prerequisite for adoption into the family of God, and it's this thing called faith. Unfortunately, our culture, our society, gives faith a really bad rap. I blame George Michael. I do. 
Because in 1988, he sang that song, you got to have faith, the faith, the faith, and I think the whole thing just went crazy because it was a horrible song and bad theology at the same time, right? But we have bad theology about faith all the time. We do, you and I do. Here's one way that we have bad theology about faith. We use that word faith as if it's kind of, we're hanging on to a thread. We're hanging on to the, kind of that last string. We're, we're, something that we have a hope in that's probably not going to happen. You gotta hang on to faith. You gotta keep the faith. All I have left is faith. Cubs fans. <laughs> this is the kind of faith you practice all the time. But people do that. Don't you hear people do that all the time? Just hang on to faith. Just keep in faith. It's all I have left is faith. Really? Faith is like the last thing you got? Here's the other way we use the word faith. Faith says, I agree mentally to a set of circumstances, to a set of uh, principles. I, 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 I have faith that God exists. I have faith that God exists. That's not faith. That's not the biblical definition of faith. That's just agreeing to a set of principles. That's just agreeing that God exists. The biblical definition of faith is epistuo ace, trust into, place your belief into. It's active surrender. Let that sink in for a minute. It's active surrender. So here's how we define faith. I believe that stool will hold me. I have faith that that stool will hold me. Here's the biblical definition of faith. Epistuo ace. Believe in two. Set my life down into the family of God. Trust in him. Place my life in him. Surrender to him. Let him hold me. Not I believe it can or I'm just hanging on to faith, but I've trusted God and placed my life down into his family room that he created for me a long, long time ago so that he could adopt me into it. That's faith. And some of you might be thinking, well, what about me? Luke, what about me? I, I get that God started this family. I get that Abraham from thousands of years ago, I get that he wanted to graft the Gentiles in. But what about me? Is this really for me? Look at Ephesians 1, 7. Oh, sorry, Ephesians 1, 5 and 6. Ephesians 1, 5 and 6. I'm going to read from the message version here, and I'm going to put it up on the screen so you can read along with me. You don't have to turn there. If you want to, that's great. But Ephesians 1, 5 and 6, listen to how God personalizes this adoption thing for you. Paul writes in Ephesians, long before God laid the world's foundations, he had us in mind. He had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Listen close. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. So believe it, men and women, brothers and sisters in Christ, from before the world began, from before there was anything on the planet, from before there was a planet to put anything on, before there was time or space, a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God eternally existent in three persons, thought of you. Are you kidding? Are you joking? That before time began, God thought, you know what? I'm going to start a family so that I can adopt Bill into it. 
so that I can adopt Luke into it, so I can adopt Dick into it, so I can adopt Chance into it, so I can adopt Casey into it. That's what God thought before he breathed the sun into existence, before he just went stars, pow, and there they were. Before all of that, long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ, long before he laid down the earth's foundation. So personalize it today, brothers and sisters. Personalize it. God started a family so he could adopt me. God started a family so that he could adopt me and fill your name in there. That's what Galatians 3, 6, and 9, 6 through 9 says. We're going to talk about three implications of what it means to be involved in the family of God. I'm going to tell you three stories about my dad and then we'll be done. The first implication is this. Being grafted into the family of God, being adopted into his family, being called a son or a daughter of the king means this, that you have identity. You have identity identity. John 1.12 reads this way. For those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called what? Children of God. Children of God. So look, when, when your job doesn't go as well as you thought it would or it should, when, when you have a difficult time making house payments, when that boy or girl that you want to date doesn't want to date you, when you have a tough time with your family, when you've got a, a wayward son or daughter that's walked away from the faith, even walked away from your family, and your identity starts to break down, and you go, I'm not a good attorney, I'm not a good salesperson, I'm not a good dad, I'm not a good husband or wife, I'm clearly not a good boyfriend or girlfriend because that person's walking away from me. I'm not anything, I don't have identity. Let the Spirit of God speak into your heart in and through His Word and say this, you are a child of God. From before he laid the earth's foundations, he thought about you so he could call you son or daughter. People used to ask me, uh, like, what did you want to be like when, 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 like when you were a kid? Like, what, what would you say you wanted to be when you grew up? Did you want to be president? Did you want to be a professional athlete? Did you want to be an astronaut? I'll be honest with you. Those are very low expectations in my house. My dad had very, very high expectations for us. Very high. But listen, at the very same time, he spoke identity into me every single day. You are my kid. Nothing will ever change that. You are a Cooper. That's my name too. Your name is Cooper. My name is Cooper. You are my son. Nothing will ever change that. No struggle you have at school. No dating relationship that falls apart. No job that you get canned from. Nothing will change that. You are my kid. You have identity. You are a Cooper. So what did I want to be? I thought I could be Batman. <laughs> I did. Not because there were high expectations.